You know, I'm told that one of the most popular television shows is a show called Extreme Makeover. And this is how it works. Scouts go around the country interviewing people who have suffered emotional trauma because of their physical appearances, be it oversized nose, don't look at me, (laughs) crooked teeth, overweight, undesirable facial features, or whatever physical problem that is causing the person inner pain, whatever it may be. And they go and interview all these people. The, the scouts go out and many individuals are interviewed. Many people, even more people apply. But only the select fortunate few who make the cut. And I've read that the joy and the elation of these fortunate few who have been selected is overwhelming when they hear that they've been selected. In fact, a reporter said that on hearing this good news... These selected people for that extreme makeover are more elated and more joyful than after the operations and and the work itself. Now, I'm not going to stand here for a moment even, criticize or belittle, but I can tell you with absolute assurance, with absolute certainty, that whatever physical changes that take place, whatever physical transformation that occurs... Whatever radical outward appearance that comes about in the person, no one has ever claimed that the inner person has been transformed. No one has ever claimed that the heart and the mind have been altered. No one has ever claimed that the state of the person's conscience has been eased or relieved At best, I'm told, what has taken place on the outside temporarily, operative word here, temporarily, affects the way the person feels for a short period of time. And once a person gets used to their new look, (laughs) that feeling of elation and excitement and joy dissipates. Now today, I want to tell you about a real extreme makeover, the real makeover. A makeover that thoroughly changes the inside as well as the outside. An extreme makeover that will radically transform not only the physical, but the eternal. An extreme makeover that will permanently modify not only the present, but the future. An extreme makeover that will completely transform the face and the faith. An extreme makeover that will totally convert the body and the soul. An extreme makeover that will alter the state of mind as well as the state of the body. And you can be part of that. Every one of us can be part of that. Today, I want you please to turn with me to Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus 
And after digging through it, lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He is a blasphemer. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I want you to imagine with me this scenario in this small Palestinian home of the first century. I'm convinced in my own heart of hearts that even television producers could never capture the intensity of that situation. They could never capture the enormous passion and the crowds at that time. Only those who have been involved or been caught in a mob scene can understand what it's like to have no millimeter between you and the person next to you. Only those who have known what it is to be in a wall of humanity will grasp the intensity of the situation. People were standing flesh to flesh that you couldn't put a razor blade between them. But I want you to try as much as you can today. Just use your imagination with me, okay? Just try to use your imagination as much as possible here. Here's four friends, each of them holding a corner of that flimsy mat. In some translations, call it bed. It's not much of a bed. It's a very flimsy mattress. And this man was obviously quadriplegic, because if he was paraplegic, two people would have carried him, and they would have taken him everywhere. You remember in the book of Acts... We told about the man when he sat in front of the temple and two people carried him in and placed him and then picked him up at night and took him back. But when a person is quadriplegic, he had to be carried on a mat with four individuals holding each corner of that mat. This quadriplegic man comes to Jesus by his friends. He obviously could not come to Jesus by himself. So they came looking for Jesus. And they saw that it was impossible to make their way to Jesus, even by themselves, let alone carrying that mat. This was a solid wall of humanity. This wall of humanity was imperitable. This wall of humanity was immovable. And these four friends, the bringers, I like to call them, these are the bringers, These bringers come, and they could not go in. They could not make their way. You know what? 
they could have easily said to themselves, we came all the way. We're not sure how long they carried their friend. They probably walked a long distance. They were probably exhausted. They were probably tired. They probably looked at the situation and said, it's impossible. We cannot do this. They probably looked at the crowd, more people outside than inside, and they said, look, we gave it the good old college try, and it's not working. We gave it our best, but we can't do a thing about it. We have already taken so much time of our busy schedule to care for our friends. We got our own problems. We got our own difficulties. We have our own lives to think about. And we have come and we have sacrificed and we can't do a thing about it. And I can imagine one of them probably a pious one that says, you know, oh, probably it is not the will of God for this friend of ours to see Jesus. And you know what? They could have had any excuse, and none of us would have been able to blame them. We really, I can't blame them. I wouldn't be able to blame them. None of us would have blamed them one bit. They've done their best. And I think every one of us, in our honester moments, we know a time in our lives when we're tempted to give up. I know there are times in my life when I have given up. When you pray for something, when you know in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit that you are praying according to the will of God, that you are praying consistently with the Word of God, and then when God does not answer your prayer in your own time, you gave up. You and I have been there. When we saw things, looked at the impossibilities, and looked at the mountains in our lives and said, we can't do it, it cannot be done, it's impossible. You know, that is why people like George Mueller has been a challenge to me throughout my Christian life. Since I was a young Christian, I would read his biography. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who trusted God. He had prayed for things, and within minutes, God answered his prayer. One time, he was running an orphanage in Bristol, England. All the kids in the orphanage were starving in breakfast, and they did not have any food. And he said, boys... We're going to thank God for the food. And they all looked at each other and said, what is he talking about? And he bowed his head and said, Lord, we thank you for the food that we're about to receive. And he hasn't even said amen. And there was a knock on the door. Somebody said, it's a milkman. He said, my cart has broken down. And I got all this milk that's going to waste. Can you use it? (laughs) Within minutes... A baker came in, knocked on the door. He said, our Lord woke me up early in the morning, asked me to bake an extra batch for you. Can you use some bread? And they ate that morning a great breakfast. And yet that man of God, one of my heroes, had prayed for a friend to come to Christ for 23 years. 23 years. How do you like that? 23 years. Never gave up. Not one time, if a doubted God is going to convert his friend. And most of us wouldn't even wait for 23 days or 23 hours. If God doesn't answer, we're gone. We have forgot about it. It's over. We don't know much about these four guys. We know really very little about them. 
We don't know their names. We don't know where they're from. We don't know their professions. We don't know their religious convictions. We don't know their background, their family background. We don't know much. But you know what? Jesus made one statement that told us volumes about their faith. Now let me summarize this in two points. Two points that I want you to remember. Write them down. Their faith in Jesus was unconquerable by the circumstances. Secondly, their faith in Jesus gave them the unexpected. Their faith in Jesus was unconquerable. These four friends were determined to bring their friend to the feet of Jesus, no matter what. They knew in their hearts that if only their friend can come to Jesus, Jesus will take care of the rest. They knew that only Jesus could meet his most desperate needs. They knew that only Jesus could perform the real miracle that he needed. They knew that only Jesus could heal the inside and the outside. Only Jesus could deal with the physical infirmity as well as the spiritual infirmity. The only Jesus could have truly performed the real, the real extreme makeover. I wonder how many of us would have that kind of faith on behalf of others, on behalf of the kingdom of God, in behalf of the work of God, on behalf of the glory of God, And so, they would not allow the difficulties to stop them. They would not allow the obstacles to hinder them. They would not allow the perplexity of the situation to deter them. They would not allow their faith to be conquered. They would not allow their faith to surrender to the circumstances. So, they went upstairs. In the old houses, in old Palestine, most of the stairs were on the outside of the house. So they went upstairs and got to the roof. They knew exactly where Jesus was. Now, can you imagine somebody kind of lowering something right there in the middle of my sermon? I mean, here's Jesus teaching, teaching the Word, and all of a sudden, this mattress was coming right in front of him. They knew exactly where he was. Now, just in case you're thinking, gosh, did they have chisels? Did they have mallets? Did they have hammers? How did they cut through the roof? The roofs back then were not like ours. These were all flat roofs, and they had flat beams, and these flat beams were about three feet apart. And on top of these beams, they put brushes. And on top of these brushes, they had a thin layer of clay. So it wasn't as a huge thing of damaging the house as you might think. They probably fixed it within a couple of hours. (laughs) So I want you to look with me at verse 5 of Mark chapter 2. That is the key verse here. I pray to God that no matter who you are, whether you're old or young, rich or poor, no matter where you are, a man or a woman, that you will Open your heart to the Spirit of God to speak to you about faith in a new way. Amen? Amen. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the quadriplegic man, Your sins are forgiven. Now, we don't know 
much either about the quadriplegic guy. We don't know anything about his faith. Jesus never referred to his faith. He referred to their faith, the faith of his four friends. And I don't want you to miss this. Please don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Whenever you and I bring somebody to Christ, in all likelihood, that person does not understand what's going on. In all likelihood, this person may never be able to articulate his or her desperate need for forgiveness. That person not able to comprehend the awesomeness of the grace of God that you and I have experienced in our lives. He or she may never be aware that you are exercising faith on their behalf. But God does, and that's all that matters. Jesus knew, and that's all that mattered. These four men didn't evangelize, didn't pull the guy by his lapel and says, repent, you sinner. No, they didn't do any of this. These four men didn't say, hey, you have to jump through certain hoops to get to Jesus. No, no. These men did not know a whole lot of things, probably themselves, but they knew one thing, and that was enough for Jesus. What did they know? Please hear me right. What did they know? They knew that if they just bring their friend to Jesus, Jesus is going to do the rest. Now, when they bring their friend to Jesus, Jesus is going to perform an extreme, extreme makeover. And that is why, secondly, their faith in Jesus gave them the unexpected. Gave them the unexpected. I have to confess to you, and I know some of you have seen that and and probably wondered in your heart, I've seen church leaders uh, on television when they get interviewed and they're talking about faith. And I, I, I hear them talk about faith in such a way that truthfully, I got to tell you this, I want to puke. <laughs> I really do. I mean, genuinely, not, not just in disgust, but in sorrow in, deep down inside of me. Because the word faith and the way it is used even by some folks in the church. Most people view faith as a blind faith, and that's how they talk about it. Some see faith as a leap into the dark. Well, we don't know, we don't understand, but we have faith. No, 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 no. Some people talk about faith as if it's something mystical. No, my beloved, listen to me. Our faith is not like that at all. In reality, our faith rests on knowledge. Faith rests on reason. In fact, knowledge is the ladder on which faith climbs higher. Knowledge is the springboard from which faith leaps further. And these men, their faith was based on knowledge of who Jesus is. It was based on the knowledge of Jesus' character. It was based on the knowledge of Jesus' identity. It was based on knowledge of the trustworthiness of Jesus. Now, to be sure, they did not expect a double miracle. But nonetheless, they totally, completely, without a shadow of doubt, trusted Jesus. I want you to hear me right on this one. When you introduce a friend to Jesus, you can rest assured, Christ will do the rest.
When you've done your job, you don't have to fret. You don't have to agonize. You have to trust Jesus. And this is what this guy said. If we just bring him to Jesus, we know what Jesus is going to do. <laughs> we just need to bring him to Jesus. And you know what? Jesus will always surprise you by doing more than you expect or imagine. Do you know why? Because your absolute faith in Jesus. Always. Not sometimes. Not on occasions. Always honors Jesus. You say, well, I have faith. I have. Let me ask you something. What did you do lately to demonstrate your faith? Unwavering faith. Unconquerable faith. What did you do in the last week, in the last month, in the last year to demonstrate your unconquerable faith? Ask yourself that question, and please do not give up until you give it the answer. Faith in Jesus will always honor Jesus. I want to confess to you something. That sometimes I pray for things. Sometimes I have faith to believe before the thing happens. When I know without a shadow of doubt, I'm praying consistent with the will of God and the Word of God. And there are times when I know that what I'm praying for is consistent with the Word of God, is consistent with the will of God, but I can't seem to believe. I don't seem to have that faith. And you know what I do? I go before God on my face and ask Him to give me the gift of faith. And I have never, ever, in all the years that I've been walking with the Lord, not known the Lord, not known Him, to give me that gift when I ask for it. Let me challenge you that if you are walking by sight and you want to walk by faith and you say, I just can't get it together. Listen, faith is not works. It's not something you have to generate. But you can ask God for it. He'll give it to you. And so Jesus sees that incredible, this unconquerable faith. And he says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, let me be upfront with you. Let's be honest with each other, okay? Had we been there watching this, whether we be sitting on the roof or sitting on the side of the house, wherever we might be, I think all of us, with that exception, would be very surprised. I think that we would be very surprised. I think we would be shocked. Every one of us would have expected Jesus to heal the man first, then give him a sermon. <laughs> Every one of us would have expected the physical miracle first, then the spiritual. But Jesus shocked them all by forgiving the man's sins, and then he healed him. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it incredible? Jesus forgave the man's sins first. And that, of course, gave the Pharisees heart palpitation. I mean, it gave them a case of the jitters. You know, who, who does he... Th well, duh, only God can forgive sins. You got him in front of you. <laughs> Let me explain something to you that is of uttermost importance. You see, most Jews, if not all Jews at the time of Jesus believed that all physical infirmities, all diseases, all sicknesses, everything 
was a direct result of sin. You remember in the Gospel of John when the disciples asked Jesus, they said, this man born blind, did he sin or his parents so he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. This is so that Jesus be glorified in the situation. And so Jesus forgives the man's sins first. Do you know what Jesus is trying to tell us? Do you know what Jesus is saying to us? First, wanting to remove the stain of sin first. He wants to remove the sting of sin and guilt first. He wanted to cleanse the man's spirit first. He wanted to release the man's conscience first. He wanted to bring rest to this man's soul first. He wanted to assure the man of his eternal life first. You say, but what message is Jesus trying to give us? What message is he trying to communicate here? I'm glad you asked. I want to tell you. Here's what Jesus is saying. That he is saying to every one of us, every one of us, that where a person is going to spend his or her eternity is far, 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 far more important than where they're going to spend the next few years. Now, beloved, I want to tell you, your greatest expression of love for a friend or a loved one is to bring them to the feet of Jesus and leave them there. You and I can't convert anybody. You and I cannot change anyone's heart. You and I cannot change anyone's eternal destiny. You and I cannot force anybody to know Jesus. But our job is to be bringers, to bring people to the feet of Christ. And just like these four friends, like these four men, Jesus will do the rest. The real extreme makeover, only Jesus can do that. (laughs) Only Jesus can do that. Let me tell you, Jesus wants to cancel the bond of sin and death for you today. Today, Jesus wants you to know that when you come to him, he forgives you all of your sins. He cleanses you. He restores you. He heals you. Jesus wants to say to you first, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And then he wants to say to you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I heard about an artist many years ago who painted a beautiful, very impressive painting of Niagara Falls. I mean, his own choice of colors and his own perception of this powerful scene captured the image of the millions and millions and millions of gallons of water falling over precipice. And then when he submitted his painting for exhibition, he did not give it a title. He did not call it anything. He just gave it to them. And the curators poured over this painting. They talked about it. They discussed it. They considered all the possibilities. And finally, they gave it a title. And they called it More to Follow. More to Follow. Oh, how appropriate. How appropriate for the thousands of years that Niagara Falls has been roaring with the sound of all that water rushing over the edge, crushing on the rocks below. And yet in all that time, never dried up. 
never dried up, never undry. There's more water to come, more water to come. And I thought about this, and I thought about Mark chapter 2 and what Jesus has done here. It is indeed a picture of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing in the life of everyone that laid at his feet. His grace, more to come. His grace forgives you all your sins, assures you of heaven, more to come. He not only gives you grace to forgive your sins, to release you from guilt and sin, but His grace will solve every problem that you go through. His grace is more than all the difficulties that you will face. His grace is for every mountain that you need to climb. His grace is for every obstacle that you may face. And I dare say that His grace, more grace, even in the time when you close your eyes in death and you look to Him face to face in heaven. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.